Welcome to Pod Revisited, episode 63. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 3 of Goblet of Fire, The Invitation. Or, as we like to call it, Petty Floor Cake. So we finally actually get into the novel with this chapter, although it is kind of short. Mm-hmm. But uh, Harry goes down to breakfast with the Dursleys. We open with some more fat shaming from the author. Of course. Who really just egregiously insults the Dursley family about their weight in a way that is reminiscent of like early middle school boys. Like the author really writes, and like I understand that she's trying to make it from Harry's perspective, but I do not think the weight is something Harry believably would focus on as a child. There's so many actual serious problems with the Dursleys. I don't think constantly thinking about their weight and making those remarks is in character for Harry at all. Yeah, I kind of forget how much the early books really emphasize how fat Dudley is. And it's just like, there are other things to talk about. And again, like when they do it just to compare how skinny Harry is, so you can understand the difference in like the allocation of goods. But they don't just do it like that. It's it's like, he's a bad person, also he's fat, and they're trying to collate the two. And it's really unsettling. It clearly shows some sort of unconscious or maybe conscious bias the author has. It is also the time, because I feel like the 90s and early 2000s were very much diet culture and just pretty terrible. Yeah, Kate Moss and nothing tastes as good as skinny feels and all that jazz. Yeah, but I do need to agree agree with Dougley on one thing. I think grapefruit is gross, so (laughs) I wouldn't be happy eating it for breakfast either. I mean, yeah, it's not my go-to breakfast choice either. Not my go-to choice. So we get to hear a little bit of why Dudley is eating grapefruit, which is that his progress report came back from school and he got a note from the nurse saying he was overweight and his teachers also had notes, but the note from the nurse said Dudley was overweight and his parents couldn't find an excuse or a way to talk themselves out of that. Well, the reason they couldn't have an excuse is because they literally can't put him in a school uniform because he won't fit into one. Yeah, they don't sell them in his size. So one of the interesting things we get a tidbit of is how they, the Dursleys, respond to the other uh, remarks from Dudley's teachers. So we hear a lot of criticism and we hear the Dursleys being those parents that make constant excuses and aren't willing to, like, acknowledge any flaws in their child. Yeah. So... We hear them saying things like in response to accusations of Dudley bullying and being aggressive. They're like, no, no, Dudley wouldn't hurt a fly. And in regards to his poor grades, they're saying, no, no, he's gifted. The teachers just don't understand him. And they are so the exact kinds of parents that make the job of teaching just so much harder on teachers. Yeah, definitely. I cannot imagine, but they are exactly the parents that make the lives of teachers miserable. No, no, my child's flawless. He did nothing wrong. Everything else is wrong. And like, just hearing these, I'm like, I feel so bad for those teachers having to put up with the Dursleys as parents. Yep, teaching is definitely a vocation generally, and people like that, like parents like that, I'm assuming make it like, just like so hard to do. I feel like especially like with younger kids, like Dudley's age group is like 14, 15 around this time. Like they can be little shits, but they're also kids. So you're kind of like, they're kids, they're making my life hell, but they're also kids, maybe they'll grow out of it. And then when you see the parents, you're like, nope, they're not going to grow out of it. It is interesting that Dudley does kind of turn around by the end of it, despite how he was raised. Yeah, uh, I guess maybe he ended up accidentally acquiring like a good peer group by accident somehow. I don't know, because it certainly didn't come from his parents. He did not gain any redeemable qualities from them. 
So I have another issue pertaining to Dudley's diet, which is that the school had the nurse and a dietitian recommend what Dudley should be eating. And to not make Dudley feel bad, the entire family is now eating the diet that was recommended for Dudley. And like, this is not good news. First of all, Dudley and Harry have completely different metabolisms. Like, clearly you can tell from how they're described. They do not process food in the same way. And also they have completely different lifestyles. Like Harry is obviously very active and full of stress. <laughs> so like he probably has the ability to lose a lot more weight naturally than Dudley does just on a given day. So clearly doing what Dudley needs to get by is not going to be giving Harry the right amount of sustenance and like calories and food intake that he needs. So basically in order for Dudley not to feel bad, they're actually physically starving Harry at this point. He's not getting enough food Yeah, for who he is as a person. He's not getting enough food. And that's terrifying. And again, there are teachers at Hogwarts who are aware of these types of things happening and do not care. And Dumbledore. Cough, cough. <laughs> I do think that like having like, um, if you have like a dietitian plan or whatever, I feel like as a family, it is something nice to do together, but you need to kind of do it to your own needs. But I feel like it's just more like if someone is following a diet and then you're bringing things in that aren't a part of diet it just makes it harder but here they're actually kind of using it to still kind of punish harry just for like existing it's one thing not to have like certain kinds of snacks in the house but like portion sizes could be a little different there are so many ways to go about this or like some people who are trying to eat healthier will do like a meatless monday where like one day a week their diet is a certain way and everyone goes with by that rule but like there's so many ways to like have a healthy lifestyle that doesn't involve actively starving harry uh, yeah but i mean diet culture back in like the 90s was also kind of like terrible so <laughs> it wasn't how can i eat healthier it was how can i not eat yeah basically so doorbell rings and uh uncle vernon gets um a letter from mrs weasley which i think is really great and sweet because obviously she kind of knows how the Dursleys kind of suck, but she's still trying to be semi-polite and respectful by, like, asking their permission. She's being a good mom. And she, like, obviously she doesn't know, so she puts, like, a million stamps yeah. on the thing. And obviously the postman thinks it's funny, but Uncle Vernon's just kind of like, oh, God. I, I think, like, to be fair, a I wouldn't know how many postage stamps to send either. Like, I don't send mail a lot, but I would put probably more than one if I was sending something that somewhere I thought was far. Like, I don't entirely blame her. I don't think it's an obvious sign of wizardry if you use too many stamps. It could just be a sign of not sending letters a lot. I feel like for wizards, like the Weasleys that are just so magical, the fact that they sent a, like a, a letter by post is pretty impressive. Like they were trying to be res that respectful and like they didn't have to go out of their way to do that. Yeah. But to be respectful to the Dursleys, they did it even though the Dursleys don't really deserve it. Yeah, they don't deserve Miss Weasley's kindness or respect. Yeah, but uh, they're offering to take Harry to the Quidditch World Cup final that's uh, happening. Yeah. And yes, Uncle Vernon has to decide. I think like he either has to do something that would make Harry happy, but get rid of him earlier, or keep Harry and make him miserable, but he's stuck with him for longer. The eternal dilemma of what makes me happier, my own happiness or the suffering of my enemies. <laughs> And of course, Harry uh, kind of uses Sirius, Sirius being in his life to blackmail uh, Vernon into being like, I guess if I can't go, I'll just tell my godfather, which I think Sirius would be very proud of. I love the coercion. It's so beautiful. And I mean, damn right. The idea of Harry like wielding Sirius like some sort of sword 
to protect himself is great. And also the way Harry like lays it out in his mind is like very smart and very Slytherin. He he makes sure they know that like, if you mistreat me, I will send him a letter saying I mistreated and he'll come and eat you in your sleep. But if he doesn't hear back from me, he'll assume you've mistreated me and also come and eat you in your sleep. So they can't just like stop him from writing letters. So like he really sort of does a good job of ensnaring them in this like socially manipulated trap. And I love that for Harry. Yeah, for the one time, Harry kind of has the upper hand this summer where, like, even though he's at the Dursleys, he has kind of more freedoms than he did previously. Like, he's not locked in his room with bars on his window. Yeah. Thank goodness. He can send letters to people. So Harry, um, of course, has been sending letters with Hedwig for his friends. So when he found out about the diet, they all sent him parcels of food. And also for his birthday, they all sent him birthday cakes, which he keeps in the, the floor. I mean, and I'm just thinking, like, I know there are different Britishisms for like maybe what they call cake isn't what I think of cake. But I'm assuming like an actual like cake, like a birthday cake needs to be like refrigerated. If you don't eat it all because it will go stale. So... But maybe Harry doesn't care. I mean, it'll probably go a little stale because it's it's a baked good. But like maybe as long as it's not an ice cream cake, it can last a couple days if you keep it sealed well. And then also, I think it probably gets a bit stale. But if you dunk it in like some tea, it softens up a little. So it's not entirely, you know, undigestible. Maybe there's magic ingredients that keep things from like going stale longer. I don't know. Yeah, maybe with Mrs. Weasley's cakes, they're fine, but, uh... Yeah, she has a lot of magical baking books, so mayhaps she, uh, preserved them. But just thinking about Harry and his secret cake, like, I love cake for breakfast. Like, in the mornings, I want sweet, delicious, chocolatey things. Cup of tea, slice of chocolate cake. Yes, a nice homemade chocolate cake. Even if it's cake from under a floorboard. I mean, floor cake is still cake. And I love this being Petty Harry because <laughs> his cake tastes so much better knowing Dudley just only gets grapefruit. It's not just floor cake. It's Petty Floor Cake. And it's fantastic. Nothing tastes sweeter than Petty Floor Cake. So when Harry gets back, uh, Ron had sent him Pig with a letter. And I loved that Ron was basically, basically like, you can't miss the World Cup. So if they don't if they don't let you come we're coming anyway but if they do let you come we'll come it's just such like a thing where like the weasleys are being like super polite and kind of like as adults do like they're, they're gonna ask permission but ron's like yeah but if they don't let you come we're still coming anyway because the weasleys are good people another tidbit from uh ron's letter is that percy started his job at the ministry of magic and uh ron seems kind of put out by it he's just like don't talk about anything abroad while you're here percy won't shut up about it and we have talked about how kind of Percy's already kind of starting to be like isolated by like his family a bit and like the last two books. And like this is obviously what Percy's work towards being in the ministry and he wants to like work his way up and stuff. And obviously his siblings, I'm sure they are somewhat happy for him, but maybe they, it's because it's so expected for Percy to do well and get a good job because he works really hard. Yeah. And of course, Percy's so excited that he's talking about it all the time, but I feel kind of feel like when I did my first internship that was like in my industry, that's all I talked about probably for like three months. Yeah. I think the Weasleys as a whole have a culture of making fun of Percy and his like constant work ethic and his constant trying and his constantly like working towards his goals because the other ones kind of have like hobbies and side quests and other things going on. And Percy's so single-minded and like goal-oriented and like 
he has an ambition that is just not necessarily relatable to a lot of the other Weasleys. And so I think easier than trying to understand him is just making fun of him. And also he's their older brother. So naturally they have to rag on him a little bit. Finally achieving what he wanted and still being made fun of is probably pretty uh, disheartening for Percy. It's kind of like the beginning of the end because this job and like working in the ministry is kind of what ends up causing like the friction between his family in the next book. Yeah. And my other point is that Ron's inviting, he mentions that Hermione's coming as well. So Ron's bringing two friends to the World Cup. And I find it interesting as a family, like I have two siblings. So usually if we were bringing friends to stuff, we all get to bring one friend to make it like fair. And obviously you bring up the fact that it's for Harry, but I find it interesting that he's bringing Harry and Hermione. Like obviously if there's free tickets, but I feel like wouldn't Percy have like his girlfriend unless they broke up or wouldn't friend George want to bring Lee Jordan? Does, does Ginny have friends? Ginny totally has friends. Everyone loves Ginny. <laughs> yeah. So it just feels weird that it's, it's only Ron. Like, cause Ron always brings up the fact that like he feels kind of like left out of his family and stuff and whatever, but Ron's the only one that gets to bring friends to anything. So I think the primary reason that the tickets were allotted that way is that Harry is the only friend of a Weasley child that's like a deeply abused orphan who's neglected and starved at home. So like, it's not just, oh, it's a fun outing for a friend. It's also like rescuing him from something horrible. Uh, I also think that like probably there was a lot of uh, social engineering going on behind the scenes that got the Weasleys these tickets that happened to be enough for all of these Weasleys plus Harry and Hermione. And I think part of it is probably that like people like Dumbledore who have the power to make these things happen, A, want Harry to have a very strong bond with the Weasleys because that's the family he's chosen for Harry. And B, he wants Harry to have certain experiences like seeing how much bigger the wizarding world is by attending the World Cup and understanding the bigger consequences of like Voldemort being a threat not just to Hogwarts, not just to England, but the whole wizarding world. And I think sometimes bringing Hermione along makes things seem less obvious as being entirely Harry based. Because if just Harry came along... Like a plot point, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like, oh, okay, how can we get Harry to the Quidditch World Cup? But bringing Hermione along makes it seem less obvious and also means that Harry and Hermione and Ron are spending more time together. And I think at this point, people like Dumbledore have decided Hermione is an important part of Harry's like process and Harry's future success. So he wants Hermione to be there for all the important events that could be core fundamental moments for Harry in his life because he thinks Hermione would be a good member of his team and wants her there. And I think in the end, that's what this is. I don't think Ludo Bagman just gave tickets to the Weasleys because he owed Mr. Weasley a favor. I think there's behind the scenes engineering where people like Dumbledore wanted Harry here. Interesting. I just I just find it unrealistic that no sibling would complain that Ron gets to bring two friends and they get to bring none. Like obviously the twins are probably each other's friends, but I think if Jenny was going to be a relatable younger sister, like we know she's really popular and she has friends, so I feel like it'd be unrealistic for like, her being the youngest being like, what, Ron gets to bring two friends and I don't get to bring any? I mean, I don't think Jenny will complain because she thinks Harry is cute. Um, so she's like, oh, my crush is coming. <laughs> um, but I think... The Weasleys probably, to some extent, had some conversation with the, the other kids about, like, we're going to bring Harry because Harry is being abused at home. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's fair. And the Hermione thing, I don't know how they justified that one. They're like, also Hermione. Yeah, because I feel like Hermione's there because it makes sense for the plot for her to be there. But I feel like 
if this was realistic, Mrs. Weasley just would have gone and they had an extra ticket so they gave it to Harry. Yeah, that would make sense. Also, I think just like, I think maybe Hermione's kind of Ginny's friend now. I don't know. I really don't. I think that it's a bit of a... It wasn't just a, here's here's some tickets out of the goodness of my heart or out of owing you a debt. Do with them as you will. I could see it being her, her money being like a dual friend because I know like I have a sister and actually the way Shayna and I became friends, it's because she was friends with my sister first. So it's like a friend that kind of is friends with both. I'm shared. A shared friend. But I think also it's interesting because Harry and Hermione could probably afford tickets reasonably thinking of like Hermione's parents are dentists and I don't know what the conversion rate of magic money to muggle money is but like they just send her away to school and she's gone all year so they could probably afford to send her to a sporting event with her friends and Harry's loaded yeah I'm assuming Hermione's parents are dentists so she has I always assumed her to be like middle class or upper middle class like dentists make good money dentists way upper yeah so it's interesting to me that I think like if if it was just giving the Weasleys tickets the Weasleys could say oh we could bring along Harry and Hermione they can get their tickets and we'll supervise them like that's an option but I don't think it was here's tickets Weasleys do what you want I think it was like Please bring Harry to the Wizarding Cup. Here's the tickets for him and Hermione and your children. I feel like Arthur generally gets tickets through work because the way Ron writes his letter uh, from the previous book, the way Ron says it is he's like, Dad usually gets tickets through work. And that does kind of uh, make sense because my dad used to get leaf tickets through his work. See, it makes sense to me because especially like for you in Toronto and me in the Montreal area, like it's a common thing that companies will have like season tickets or booths or and then they'll they'll like give them out to every once in a while to their employees but normally they save the good games like the really really interesting games like the rivalry games like your company if you work for your company in Montreal you're probably not going to be randomly given tickets to like a Montreal versus Boston game because that's a rivalry and it's an interesting game and it's more desirable and they're going to give those tickets to like visiting clients you know what I mean not just like someone who works for them so like it's going to be like the lower level games probably not playoff games, certainly not World Cup gold medal games. You know what I mean? So that's what makes me suspicious as well. It's not just like, oh, a tickets to see the Chudley Cannons opener or like a mid-season game of like a moderately successful local team. It's like the World Cup. Yeah, it's just almost like what are, like the Olympics would be in Canada. Like, Yeah, it's like getting Stanley Cup tickets from your job. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of crazy, especially the fact that they give the Weasleys, like, I was calculating for seven because in my mind, Percy went for work and not as, like, on an extra ticket, but I guess he got an extra ticket with the Weasleys as well. So that's, like, eight tickets. That's crazy. That's not how that works. Normally, it's, like, two tickets, you know? We were talking uh, off, um, I guess, off before we started, um, the fact that, like, Arthur got these through work because he helped Ludo Bagman's brother get off something, and, like, how connected Arthur is like he's not someone that you would expect to get like stuff like this through work but he knows people like he has no reason really to know Ludo Bagman with his department but he he just knows everyone and everyone like generally treats him very well and he's definitely respected as we'll see later on in like the World Cup chapters yeah I think it's uh I think it's very curious so I sort of did some calculations because that's who I am. And I wanted to understand the value of these tickets. Mm. So I did it for um, seven people because 
I just randomly, I can't remember how many tickets I got. It's seven in my mind. So basically I Googled what the cost for the World Cup of Soccer tickets were in 1994, which is when this book is set. So the average cost for a ticket, one ticket to that game, the World Cup final, was 58 pounds. So I did the math. So that's seven tickets at approximately 58 pounds. That's $406.00. Uh, the value of the, sorry, pounds has doubled. So basically nowadays it would be about 812 pounds or 1,300 Canadian dollars. So like, it's a big chunk of money. It's hard for us to feel that way looking at Taylor Swift tickets right now, but like. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, it's like a Taylor Swift ticket price. (laughs) (laughs) If you're lucky. (laughs) But so basically it's a very large chunk of money. So like the cost of a house in the UK on average that year was $56,000. So like just to get an idea sort of of how much money that actually was, because it was a lot of money to be spending on tickets. And it's the kind of thing where like you don't just give that out to a lower level employee or you don't just give that out to pay off your debt when you could probably be better off selling those tickets and having the money, specifically someone like Ludo who owes a lot of people money. It's like a weirdly large monetary value gift to just give off like that. And like kind of crazy that the Weasleys used them all. It's kind of amazing that they got so many tickets because I know that's probably one thing big families struggle with is just like anytime you have to go somewhere, it's just all the extra costs eat up. And they brought extra children. like Yeah, and extra children. <laughs> I think there's definitely underlying reasons. I think it'll be an interesting thing to look at later on. Like, what does someone like Dumbledore get out of Harry having been there? Why would he have wanted that to see if there's enough motives for us to think that maybe that's actually how it happened? Because I don't believe the Ludo Bagman story. I mean, I believe he gave them the tickets. They got them from him. I don't believe he did it out of the goodness of his heart in repaying some debt to Arthur. That smells fishy. Little Bagman is an interesting guy, so I'm looking forward for us to be introduced to him and, like, meet him and everything. I think he's so interesting as a character, just as someone who kind of, like, was around the sports world for a bit and, like... Just ended up landing at a job at the ministry. He's definitely one of those... I mean, that's how it works. Because when you're a star athlete, especially in a sport that's, like, highly valued where you played... You sort of have this celebrity status that stays around you for a long time. Like, people who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs for one season and weren't great can retire and make decent money just, like, attending grand openings of local restaurants and stuff and cutting a ribbon. Oh, he played for the Leafs that year. Wow. Cool. Attend our event. And that's how kind of we kind of get the hints from Percy, at least, that Ludo's not good at his job. And it kind of shows... Yeah, and it's totally how things happen. I mean, George Peros is the head of player safety at the National Hockey League. That might sound crazy, but it's the truth. That might also mean nothing to you. But let me tell you, it's it's just if you played for a sporting team and you were semi-famous, you have this air about you where people want to have you around because they think they're going to be cool by association. And so you get a lot of opportunities that maybe you don't deserve. And it's very popular in the world of men's sports. Women have to work their asses off to even be able to afford to live off of playing their sports. But the men can survive off of one season and some book signings. Of course. Sorry, there was a rant. (laughs) Support your local professional women's sports teams, everybody. So the chapter kind of ends with Harry, you know, being kind of really excited for the first time that he's going to go off, like, not even just, like, go to see Ron and stay with him for the rest of the summer, but he's going to go see, like, a 
a professional Quidditch game, like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And he's just like super in high spirits. And I, this is kind of like one of the last times that we seem like super carefree and excited. Like, obviously, he doesn't really, like, Voldemort's in the background, but it's not really a big stress to him at the moment because Voldemort's not back. But yeah, this is the last time he's like just like a normal kind of like 14 year old kid who's like, you know, gonna go stay at his friend's place for the rest of the holidays, gets to go to like a professional sports game, and just like, yeah, he's just having a great time. Yeah, he really is very carefree and, like, very young, sort of, for the last time. Especially with how, like, Order of the Phoenix goes, where it's just, just like, heavy... Heavy, heavy, heavy. ...feelings all the time. But, yeah, the last time, Harry's kind of just, like, a normal child. R.I.P. Harry Potter's childhood. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this chapter. Still not a lot of action yet, but the plot is slowly moving as we'll be going back to the burrow... Yeah, it's gone from, like, Harry Potter boy wizard abused at home to Harry Potter boy wizard going to a sport. Yes, it's going to a sport event. It's the first look at the future. <laughs> it's the first, like, what is to come. So thanks for listening to this episode of Potter Revisited, and we'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 4, Back to the Burrow. Finally. <laughs> I just want to be at the Burrow already. But um, if you have anything you want to discuss, to discuss on the episode or comments questions you can email us at potter revisited podcast at gmail.com or reach out on social media at potter revisited and we'll be back next time bye, bye.